invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Been studying this all summer. We're to chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Anybody ever heard the phrase DTR? We need to have the DTR conversation. Students, anybody ever heard that phrase? Define the relationship. Our college students on staff here said, yeah, I've got to have a DTR conversation. You've got to define the relationship. When I was growing up, that's when you, either the girl or the guy said something like, let's just be friends. Or guys, you knew it was a problem if you call the girl for a date, and it's like, well, no, i got to, I got homework to do. But it's Friday. <laughs> Or I've got to wash my hair or something like that. That pretty quickly defined the relationship. That's what Paul is doing in chapter 5 and in chapter 6. He's defining the relationship that we have with God. He starts in verse 1 of chapter 5 and says, be imitators of God. So that's our model. That's who we're following is God. In verse 21 of chapter 5, he says, be subject, submit to one another. And he's carrying that into relationships right after that with husbands and wives and then with parents and children, and with slaves and masters. And you're saying, well, wait a minute. We didn't cover husbands and wives last week. Well, you had to be here the first Sunday in May. And the reason we skipped to the first Sunday in May was because I was a little angry. My wife and I had just had our 37th wedding anniversary. We were out to dinner. And the people who owned the restaurant knew because of Facebook that it was our anniversary. So they each individually came out and sang this happy anniversary song. I didn't know there was one, but they sang the same song. And the lady behind us after the second song said, well, congratulations or condolences, whichever the case may be. And that kind of kicked me off because that's where we are, even in the church, certainly in our society. People make jokes about marriage, and it's a gift of God. It's not something to downplay or downgrade. You ought to be happy with who God's given you as a husband or wife. And so I skipped ahead in the passage and covered chapter 6 or chapter 5, the end of chapter 5, relationship between husbands and wives, and you're saying, yeah, but what good does that do me? Well, you can go back and listen to it on iTunes, or you can go to our website and hit the sermon link at the bottom of the website, and you can go back and listen to it. As I was preparing this message, uh, Casey Clark, who runs our PowerPoint, uh, when he saw what the passage was on, he said, sir, you're doing away with Children's Church this week. Because he wanted to make sure his kids were in here to hear this. So, God, so Paul 
is going to describe relationships between children and parents and then between slaves and masters. We'll get to that in a few minutes. I think the interesting thing is that I think he believed, or we could assume, that he starts with children. They would have heard this letter. They would have been in the worship time and heard the letter because first he addresses children. So you go back to we're imitating Christ, we're subject to one another, and now he's saying, children, here's how you do this. Here's how you imitate Christ before your, before your family, before your siblings, before your friends, and before the world. And then he's going to get to parents, especially fathers, and how they imitate Christ, how they submit and subject themselves. And so child, it, it doesn't just mean a young child. It really means a child, regardless of age, children who are made to glorify God. Obey your parents. In fact, children were so important in the early church and, and so important to Jesus. You remember the story in Matthew 19 when the disciples were kind of trying to protect Jesus for the, from the children? Just get this picture of Jesus kind of sitting on a rock or a chair or somewhere, and just kids are crowding in. That's how attractive Christ was to them. And in Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, Let the children alone. And do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So children, even in the early days of the church, were an important part of the church and certainly an important part of that culture. And let me tell you, in the culture they lived in, in the Roman culture especially, they weren't that important. They were basically viewed on the same level as property. And we'll talk about that in a minute when we get to the fathers. But two things that he tells them. First of all, he says, obey your parents. Okay? So he said to be subject one to another back in chapter 5, verse 21, and that's everybody be subject to one another under the lordship of Christ. But he said, children, here's who you need to primarily be responsible to, and that is your parents. Literally, willingly submit to their leadership. Arrange yourself under their headship, their leadership. What does that mean? Well, it means to listen with attentiveness and respond positively to what is heard. It means this. It means to accept what your parents are telling you even before you understand the reasons. How, how many parents have had the why question? And it's really cool to answer the why question, but about the 15th time they say, yeah, but why? <laughs> then what do you say? Because I said so. There's things that we obey God from or things that God has told us to do that we obey him because he said so. And that really is enough. Now, I understand there's bad parents out there, so let me just go ahead and do the disclaimer. Kids, children, not a lot in the room. But if your parents are telling you to do something that violates Scripture, then you don't obey that, you obey Scripture. That's, you know, Paul back, or uh, Peter back in, in uh, the first part of the book of Acts, when they told him to quit testifying in the name of Jesus, he said, you know, you figure out for yourself whether that's right or wrong, but I can't stop telling people about Jesus. In other words, I'm going to disobey the government that I've been told to obey because in this case they're telling me to do something that conflicts with scripture but that's typically not the point typically not what's happening so obey your parents in the Lord for this is right this is right to honor and obey your parents is to honor and obey the Lord it really doesn't depend on whether they're believers or not in fact, you may be able to show them a picture of Jesus by your willing obedience to your parents. And then honor your parents. 
What's the difference? Well, I think obey is you obey your parents while you're living under their roof. You obey your parents while you're young. You simply say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. You do what your parents ask you to do. You listen attentively and heed the instruction. Parents, have you ever looked at a kid and just said, are you listening to me? You know, I know they're standing in front of me. I know I'm talking to them, but their eyes have glazed over. They've rolled in the back of their heads. So as children, we listen, but always we honor our parents, no matter how old you are or how old your parents are. Honor your father and your mother. It literally means to prize or to value highly. Honor your father and mother, to hold them in the highest regard. Let me just say, if you don't, as children... This really is a word to parents, but if children don't learn this in the home, you know where it gets fleshed out? They don't honor their teachers in school. They don't honor their bosses when they go to work. They don't honor the police and authorities that are placed over them because they didn't learn it at home. And parents, I'm on a soapbox. But if your children become the center of the home and everything revolves around them and they never hear the word no, you're going to inflict that child on society someday. And so children, honor your father and mother. In fact, it says this is the first commandment with a promise, but there's also a commandment in Exodus chapter 21 that said children who verbally abuse their parents or physically abuse their parents are to be put to death. Exodus chapter 21, I've got it on the screen, verse 15. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Verse 17, he who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. That's how seriously they took that in the Old Testament. So honor your father and mother. Honor. Prize them. Value them highly. Honor includes taking care of your parents. Your parents spent the first 20 years of your life taking care of you. You may have to help the last 20 years of their life to take care of them. And you'll do that if you honor your mother and father. You'll do that if you've placed a value and you say, they are very valuable in my life. And it says it's the first commandment with a promise. Back in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. How many commandments are there in the Ten Commandments? There's ten. The first four had to do with your relationship between you and God. The last six have to do with your relationship with your fellow man. And the one that specifically deals with the home life and the family is, is commandment number five. And that's the commandment, children, honor your father and mother. But it comes with a promise so that it'll be good with you. So there's a quality component to it. Your life will be good if you honor your father and mother. But also there's a quantity component to it. Your life will be long if you, father, uh, if you obey and honor your father and mother. Now, in the Old Testament, it specifically applied to the nation of Israel, but Paul repeats it now in the New Testament to say it's not just applying Old Testament to the nation of Israel, but it's applying to believers, to Christians. There's a promise here. The promise is it'll go well with you, quality of life, but also you'll live a long life on the earth. So it's an announcement that comes with a promise. Let me just ask you this as children, because all of us are children. Regardless of how old you are, you had parents. Whether you knew them or not, you had parents. Have you ever told them thank you? 
I hear parents say, you know, now that my child finally realizes they don't know everything and that I'm not as stupid as they thought I was, they've actually come and said thank you. It's not too late unless your parents have passed away. Regardless of your age, regardless of their age, it's not too late just to say, Mom, Dad, thank you for the influence you had in my life. I may not have been the perfect child growing up, and maybe they weren't the perfect parent growing up, but thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for me. Thank you for the way you provided for me, the way you took care of me. And thank you for pointing me to my Heavenly Father, who is a perfect Father. So children, obey and honor your parents. And then he says fathers. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Now, some scholars say he could be using this word because it was occasionally used to refer to both father and mother. So he could be talking to parents here. But he's been talking to parents already, and he specifically says father here, and certainly the culture they were in. The father was the one who had the final say. In fact, the father, in the Roman culture, they would bring the baby, the newborn baby, and put the baby before the father, and the father could decide life or death for that child. If he didn't like the sex of the child, or if he didn't like the way the child looked, or it had a deformity, he could get up and walk away, and they would know this child can't come into the house. And that child would either be sold into slavery or discarded. So the father had, and, and there would be no, the child died, there'd be no repercussions to the father. And I'm glad we don't live that way in our culture, but that was the Roman culture. And Paul's saying, it ought not to be that way. Don't provoke your children to anger. Here's some ways that we provoke children to anger. I don't have these on the screen, so just listen. You can provoke your children to anger by showing favoritism. Either between children in the family or why can't you be like that child? <laughs> or you give that child more attention than you give this child. Provokes to anger. Another way is putting achievement beyond reasonable boundaries. I've had kids tell me, I just wish my parents would tell me that I did something right. You will provoke your children to anger, and you'll even provoke them to the point where they give up. If a child thinks nothing I can do is good enough, they'll quit doing anything and quit trying. You discourage them by never complimenting or encouraging them. Another way you provoke them to anger is you don't let kids grow up at a normal pace. I've been around a long time, so I remember what it was like when I was a child. And if you're here and you're like under 20, you're thinking, your eyes are glassing over. Yeah, we get it. You're old. But I just see parents now just won't let kids be kids. You've got to be successful. Yeah, we understand you're 13, but you've got to be, you know, you've got to you push for success. You push for this and that. So you discourage kids. You provoke them to anger by not letting them grow at a normal pace. You also provoke children to anger by using love as a tool of reward or punishment. God doesn't do that. God loves you, even when you weren't lovely. Love your children, not as a reward or a punishment. Love them because they're a gift from God. Another thing is verbal or physical abuse. You provoke children to anger by physically abusing them or verbally abusing them. And last, and this is important, when you punish rather than discipline. Robert McGee wrote a book 
describing loving discipline in the home and really changed the way we did things with our children because I came to realize there's a big difference in punishment and discipline. And you're saying, well, what's the difference? Well, for one, discipline is something God does. The Bible says those whom he loves, he disciplines. And I'm going to define discipline in just a minute because it comes up in the passage. But discipline has a future and a hope. You discipline someone because you're trying to correct them, train them. You, you've got the fact that, hey, you're going to do better. Punishment is last resort where you've given up. The ultimate punishment is when God looks at you who, who in heaven you didn't come to faith in Christ and you're condemned to spend eternity separated from God. That isn't discipline. You don't get better from that. That's punishment. And so you provoke children to anger when you simply punish rather than discipline. In fact, you provoke them to anger when the, when the kids don't know what the rules are. When whatever flew on Tuesday isn't flying on Friday. They need to know very clearly what the rules of the house are and what the consequences are. And parents, it takes work because you've got to be consistent. You may need to write it down. If you do this, this is the consequence. Because it's like that in the real world. So don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up. Literally rear them up to maturity. One of my professors in college says, you rear children, you don't raise them. I mean, I tell you, I was raised in Macon, Georgia. He said, no, you raise corn, you rear children. So Paul says, bring them up. Literally rear them in two ways, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, in Discipline, tutorage, education, training, correction. God disciplines those he loves. But also in instruction, literally calling attention to, mild rebuke or warning. So your job as a parent is to discipline children and to instruct them. One of the greatest ways you instruct them is through your life. As a parent, I just got to ask you, what are your kids seeing from you? Are they seeing you read your Bible? Do they see you pray? Do they ever experience you asking them questions and answering questions about godly things and spiritual things? Do they see you worship? You will impact your children's lives by showing them the Father. Even when you mess up, showing them forgiveness and grace from God. So he's talked about children and fathers. Let's turn the page to the last relationship that he talks about, and that's between slaves and masters. And yes, we're going to spend some time talking about employee-employer relationships because it's certainly practical and the application is there. But we got to get the context. Paul's talking about the home. And in the home, you had husbands and wives. So he's talked about how they relate to each other in the home. You had parents and children, so he's talking about how they relate to each other. Also in the home, you had slaves and masters. It's estimated in Rome there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, which this is Asia Minor, part of the Roman Empire, 60 million slaves. Some scholars say if you saw somebody on the street, at least half of them were slaves. And it didn't have anything to do with race. In fact, slaves sometimes were more educated than the masters were. In fact, the roles of slaves were laborers, clerks, teachers, doctors. In fact, often the slave was responsible for raising and teaching and instructing 
the children in the home. So the early church had many slaves. But guess what else? The early church also would have had masters. So you may be sitting right beside in this early church. A slave and a master may be sitting on the same row or in general proximity to each other in the same church. And so it was important they learned how to relate to each other. So he says to slaves, be obedient. Arrange yourself under willingly the authority and the headship of your master. Now it's important to understand the difference between American slavery and slavery in the Roman Empire. The Bible speaks against what we had as slavery in America. It doesn't speak against this. In fact, some people say, why didn't Paul just say, masters, free all your slaves? Well, that kind of he kind of sets that up. But slaves in Paul's day could own property. They even, some slaves owned slaves. They were allowed to save money to buy their freedom. Many gained their freedom by the age of 30. You became slaves by either being born into a slave family, your parents sold you or abandoned you, you were a captive of war, or, or it may be that you voluntarily asked to be a slave to better your condition. Or it could be that you became a slave because you couldn't pay a debt. In fact, Felix, if you remember in the book of Acts, Felix, the governor that put Paul in prison, Felix had been a slave who had gained his freedom and now was a governor over a region of Israel. So slaves, obey your masters according to the flesh. And that's simply to say this. These are your masters according to the flesh, which means this is temporary. Even if you're a slave to this person for the rest of your life on earth, it's temporary. And you have a master in heaven that you're going to spend eternity with. It won't be like this forever. But do it with fear and trembling, literally, seriously, and reverently. It doesn't mean terror because he's going to tell the slave masters not to treat their slaves that way to intimidate them, but to do it with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as to Christ. So a slave comes to the master and says, I'm going to obey, I'm going to do what you ask me to do as if I'm doing it unto the Lord. Now let's flip the coin just a minute. How about employee-employer relationship? That's the way as employees, you got a boss. That's the way you ought to treat your boss. Even if the boss isn't a believer, even if sometimes the boss isn't the best boss to work for, you, you submit, you, sub, you arrange yourself under his or her authority and leadership, and you do it as unto the Lord. In fact, Paul gets real specific. He says, not by way of eye service. Literally, it means sight labor. It, it's service only when under inspection. Don't just do the minimum required. In other words, don't just do your job when somebody's looking. Because who's always looking? God is. So even though your boss may not be looking, you do your service as unto the Lord. And it, it can be a witness to your boss. Your boss may come to realize, hey, this person's a Christian and they are the best worker I got. There's a difference in them and I like it. So don't do it as by way of eye service or men pleasers. Only give an effort to be seen by men. I had somebody tell me one time, I don't mind being a servant, I just don't like being treated like a servant. Well, occasionally, you're going to be treated like a servant. And so you honor God by obeying the boss as you would obey Christ. Doing the will of God. How you do your job reflects on your Lord. You also do it from the heart with good will. You render service as unto the Lord. 
is, is the work you're doing good enough to show God? Is it good enough to write your name on and say, I'm proud of that? And I love this. It also has a promise. For anyone who does the good thing that I'm asking you to do, he will receive back from the Lord. Heard a story about a missionary couple just thinking about you could serve God all your days and never feel like you ever got rewarded for it on this life, in this life. A missionary couple was returning from 40 years of sacrificial service in Africa. They were on a boat with Theodore Roosevelt, our president, years ago. And when they landed, the boat docked in the New York Harbor. There were thousands of people there to greet the president who had been on a hunting trip to Africa. And there were dozens of reporters to interview the president as he got off the boat. And in the cab ride on the ho- to the hotel, the missionary couple talked to each other about nobody was there to meet us. Nobody was there to pat us on the back. We served God for 40 years. He went to Africa and killed an animal. What's the big deal? That night in prayer, it seemed that the Lord said to them, Do you know why you haven't received your reward yet, my children? It's because you're not home yet. And it made all the difference when they realized we didn't serve for 40 years in Africa to get the applause and acclaim of reporters or adoring fans when we docked our boat back in the New York Harbor. We were doing it as unto the Lord. So whether you're slave or free, do your job as unto the Lord. It it amazes me that I hear from bosses now. Bosses are having to give bonuses for things that seem like no-brainers. Like if you show up for work, you'll get a bonus. And not just show up for it. If you'll show up on time, you'll get a bonus. I talk to people that own businesses that say, you know, the hardest part of owning businesses, just find people that will work. It's amazing. So Christians ought not to be known in that category. Show up for work. Be on time. Have a smile on your face. In fact, I would say this. When you're on your way to work, do you pray? Pray before you get there. God, use me today to be a lighthouse, an example of who Jesus is in front of other people. Do you see it as an opportunity for the gospel? It may be that you don't have an opportunity to verbally verbally tell people about Jesus, but people should see something different in you, and they may come to you and say, what's different? And you can tell them the reason for the hope that's within you, and that is Christ. And do you see Jesus as your ultimate master? Last, last one, and I'm done, and that's just our boss, the master. They were sitting beside each other in church, and they're hearing the same letter read that the Apostle Paul had sent them. And he says to the masters, do the same thing to them. The way I've just instructed the slave or employee to respond to their masters or bosses, show them that same kind of respect. Because he's already told us in 21, verse 21 of chapter 5, submit to one another. Give up threatening. Literally, avoid hostility or bullying or aggression. I could see that in a master in the first century of Rome because nobody was there to tell them, hey, you can't treat people like that. But you know what? There's bosses that act that way. If you're a boss here today and it takes you yelling at or threatening your employees, you need to change your mode. And employees, if you're under that, maybe it's time to look for another job. Honor God while you're there. But don't work somewhere where you're constantly being threatened and bullied. 
And he closes by saying, knowing that both their master and yours. So he says to the bosses, they got the same master you do, ultimately. There's a God in heaven who you've claimed allegiance to. Treat them the way you'd want to be treated. So whether husband and wife, child or parent, employee or boss, we all have the same master. And Paul closes the passage by saying there's no partiality with him. God doesn't play favorites. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for just practical instruction. Help apply that to our lives, to our hearts. God, in our relationship to our parents, our relationship as parents to our children, in our working relationship, may we represent Christ well. And may we understand you are Lord of all. Apply that to our lives in Jesus' name. Would you stand as we sing?